Hey, you guys. Nice to be here. The church looks different from this side. Uh, it's a privilege to be here and to share. Um, not the easiest topic. Uh, you know, there are probably people that are far more qualified than I am. Um, I don't, I'm not a financial advisor. I don't have a degree in economics. Uh, I don't have a degree full stop. I've been to the University of Life. Um, I've had businesses and I've learned lessons. And what I want to share with you is through, mainly through the lessons that I've learned. I could speak on work for a living would be a lot easier. Financial wealth is a tough topic, especially in a limited amount of time. So, you know, let's just get into it and let me start off by saying that financial wealth differs from person to person. Your interpretation is different to mine. The means to acquire financial wealth is going to differ from person to person. So I'm going to maybe highlight one or two things that I think could help you to acquire financial wealth. You might differ, but at least you've thought about it. I really want to talk to the people who haven't thought about it because I do believe that God has purposed us. He's created us and said, and we will look in the word, that we, we should create wealth. And then we're going to talk about why. And I think that's the most important part. So can I ask that we just commit this time to the Lord? Just pray with, it, with me. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts tonight. Lord, I don't want to try and convince anybody with smart words. I want your spirit to be with us here and to do the work. I want you to teach us. I want your word to stir us. So please come, Lord. Come and teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I've, I've broken it into three sections. I'm going to give a little foundation. Um, and then I'm going to give four practical steps. Look here, there's probably 150. I chose four which I think are especially for this group, the most meaningful. And then the last section is going to be, how does that influence your life? How do you live with wealth? Okay, so if we can start, I want to lay the foundation right in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28. And I, I love the way it is read in the message, and I'm going to share it from the message. And it says, God spoke, let us make you... That's just, I love that. Let us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right from the start, they were there in the beginning, all three. Let us make humans in our own image. Make them reflecting our nature so that they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, the earth itself. God created human beings. He created them God-like, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female. Then he blessed them. How did he bless them? He said, prosper, reproduce, fill the earth, and take control. There are two things I want to highlight from that scripture. The first is that God is a working God. All right? He's making things and creating things. He works. He understands what work is about. Our very faith 
is based on the fact that he works. We believe that he right now is commanding his angels. We believe that he's answering prayers. And we believe that he's busy transforming lives. And he's working. The scripture also says that he made us responsible for his creation. That means we have to work. We are made in his image. He's a working God. Therefore, we have to work. 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 10 says, If you don't work, you will not eat. So, the first thing I want to highlight here is we have to work. That's the, f the first foundation. The second thing I want to take from that scripture is the blessing that he speaks over us. He says, you must prosper, reproduce, fill the earth, and take control. Okay, so clearly we're reading that he's a God of growth, progress, and development. And he expects us to do the same. And taking control also means that we should take control of our finances and our money. So using that as a foundation, I'm going to go into the four things that I want to share as, let's call them ways or methods that you could use to acquire wealth or things that you need to understand. And if we can put up the first slide... So if you look at the bottom, there's you. What can you, what can you offer? We've spoken about hard work. You can work with a standard of excellence. And then, of course, there's faith and there's hope. And that will take you on a journey to God's plan and purpose or your destiny. His plan and purpose for your life. But in life, as I've learned, there are two things that often come along and rob you of that destiny. The first one is... Mammon, or the love of money, it's going to appeal to you, and you're going to follow money for the wrong reasons, and you're going to lose out on your destiny. The second one is fear, or risk aversion. And that equally will derail you and rob you of, of, of reaching your destiny and your God-given purpose. So, to illustrate... The first point, and the first point is simply this. God is your provider. If you can understand this, you are well on your way to master and acquire wealth. He is your provider. So if we can call up the first scripture, just put it on the next slide there for us, and we can read it together. It's from Genesis 13, verse 8 to 17. I'm going to read it. Finally, Abram said to Lot, Let, so Abram and Lot are extremely wealthy at this time. God has blessed them. They have an abundance of flocks and material wealth. Finally, Abram said to Lot, let's not allow this conflict to come between us or our herdsmen. After all, we are close relatives. The whole countryside is open to you. Take your choice of any section of the land you want, and we will separate. If you want to, the land to the left, then I'll take the land on the right. If you prefer the land on the right, then I'll go to the left. Lot took a long time. 
so he took a long look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zor. The whole area was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord or the beautiful land of Egypt. Lot chose for himself the whole Jordan Valley to the east of him. He went there with his flocks and servants and parted company with his uncle Abram. So Abram then went and settled in the land of Canaan, and Lot moved his tents to a place near Sodom and settled among the cities of the plain. But the people of this area were extremely wicked and constantly sinned against the Lord. So here's the first point. Abram knows that God is his provider. He's got a lot to lose here. How is it that he has the courage? He has no fear whatsoever, but he says to Lot, we need to separate. You choose where you want to go. Lot obviously looks to this land. He says, he sees it through his, his human eyes. Mammon says, this has got to be the place. I have to go there. And he chooses it. Abram just says, you know what? You choose, you go for it. Because I know no matter where I go, God is my provider. And if you can, you know, we sing it in songs. God is my provider. Jehovah Jireh, God, my provider. You know, it rolls easily off the tongue, but do you live like that? Do you believe it, that he's your provider? So he had no fear. He knew that he couldn't lose. How does the story end after Lot had gone? The Lord said, after Lot leaves, God says to Abram, Look as far as you can see in every direction, north and south, east and west. I'm giving all of this land as far as you can see to your descendants as a permanent possession. And I will give you so many descendants like the dust of the earth that they cannot be counted. Go and walk through the land in every direction for I'm giving it to you. See what God does here. Because Abram knows that he's the, God is his provider, God don't, doesn't only give him what he chooses or what Lot, he gives him what Lot chose as well. He says everything that you can see, east, west, north, south, it's all going to be yours. Abraham understands that God is his provider. My question to you, do you believe genuinely that God is your provider? If so, are you willing to take a risk? Are you willing to take a financial risk? You see, because if you want to make a gain, unfortunately, you have to take a risk. And the risk I'm talking about, I'm not saying, look, go to the casino and take all your money and put it on black. <laughs> That's not what we're talking about, please. I'm not asking us to gamble. I'm asking us to use the talents and the gifts that God has given us and put them to work. Using what he has already given to us, knowing that he's our provider, and see what he does with the rest. I'm saying that we need to use our God-given brains and develop strategies that will create wealth. And just looking around, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people here who do this. Or are you going to be like the person in Matthew that Jesus talks about when he gave him the talents? 
Are you going to take a risk and make them grow? Or are you going to be filled with fear in case you lose them and you're going to bury them? Well, the thing is this. If you truly believe that God is your provider, you cannot bury the gifts and talents that he's given you. Those talents that he talks about, I read in one commentary, one talent, I think he gave 10, 5, and 2, one talent is worth a million rand. It's money. So he's talking about money. Don't bury it. God is your provider. Trust it to him. Give it back to him. Use the gifts that he's given you. Work hard and see what he does. The second point. Everybody needs a plan for their money, a budget. And I know this sounds so basic, and you've probably all heard this before. But when I go around and teach financial literacy in companies, this is the area where most people, they start off wrong. They spend no time looking at what they do with their money. They don't understand what happens to it, and they don't have control over their spending. You need to take control of it. You need to put a plan in place. That plan needs to include investments. You need to be able to look after your family. You need to invest. You need to provide for your future. I understand all of that. It includes that. It has to be done. I find too often that people actually don't know where the money goes. They just say, oh, you know, we get five or six days to go before, the, before payday and we start stressing because there's no money left. Where did it go? What did you spend it on? Oh, I don't know. It's just, it's just gone. Okay? So, a quick fix for this. Put plans in place. If you're in business, Business 101 says if your business is in financial trouble, two things that you do, and you do them simultaneously, you decrease your costs and you increase your income. There's no difference to you as a person to Luke Incorporated. Decrease your spending and increase your income. Increasing your income simply means using your capacity. Your capacity is your time. Most of the people that I speak to, when they tell me they're in financial trouble, and I want to help them, the first thing I ask them is, how much time have you got on your hands? And what are you doing with the time? And the majority of them say they've got lots of time, but they don't know what to do with the time. Well, I'm saying to you, there lies the, first, the second problem. You need to use your capacity. And you need a financial plan once you start generating income. The third point I want to raise is the worldly system of compound interest. Okay, and most of you, I'm sure, have heard of compound interest. I'm not going to even go into a lot of detail explaining what it means. But we have to understand it. Albert Einstein said that he who understands compound interest earns it. He who doesn't understand it pays for it. If you don't understand it, you're going to pay for it. Believe me. So, credit 
always comes with interest. If you want to loan money, you're going to pay interest. Okay, I'm not saying we need to be afraid of credit, but I'm saying that we need to use it to our advantage. Remember? Prosper and take control. Take control of it. Credit is there. We need to use it or not. We'll, we'll see. But there are two types of credit that I just want to focus on. There's good credit and there's bad credit. Good credit simply for me means when you use money to make money. You use someone else's money, you loan money to make money. Bad credit is when you use someone else's money, costs money. You use someone else's money and it costs you money. Excuse me. I'll give you a quick example. If you make a loan to buy a car and you use that car as an Uber car, it generates income for you. I'd say that's a good form of credit because money, you're using money to make money. Bad credit, if you max your credit card to take your family on holiday and you pay it off over five years, you're financing your lifestyle. That's an example of bad credit where money costs money. And the, the simple point is that money should make money. It's a basic foundation of wealth and wealth creation. Money should be working for you. Last thing I want to say about credit. Um, I recently helped someone from this church, a good friend of mine, was buying a car, and uh, he was delighted, found a good car, got the agreement from the bank, and I, I, he said, hey, my finance is approved, I can buy this car. I said, what's the interest rate that the bank's charging you? He said, no, he hasn't even looked. So I said, well, it's quite important, why don't you have a look? And he had a look, um, and I, I, I think at the time it was around about 10% that they were going to charge him to buy the car. And I said to him, send it back to them, tell them they need to do better or you're going to go somewhere else. And he was like, what if they don't finance me? I said, just look at, you can always take it later, but just humor me, do it. A couple of hours later, they came back and reduced the rate to 8.5%. And in money terms, that's three, 400 rand a month. So we need to understand the system. That's how it works. The fourth point I want to talk about is the point of leverage. Okay, and leverage is a very, very powerful tool that I think I've certainly missed in my life when I was young. If I'd have known these things, I probably would have done things a lot differently. Okay, and leverage is using of debt, okay? And I'm not standing here and saying to you, go and make debt, please. That's not what I'm trying to say. Just, just hear what I'm going to say before you stone me. It's using debt to invest. Okay. And I know many people, I know lots of believers who tell me, hey, but listen here, debt is evil. It's wicked. Stay away from it. Run as far as you can. And I understand that and I respect that, especially if you understand the difference between good debt and bad debt, which we've explained. But here's the thing. Debt and interest have, has been around since the Old Testament times. And again, 
I want to remind you what, what did God say when he created man? Take control and prosper. That means we need to take control of these things. And the principle of leverage is a very interesting one. Leverage, in my words, would be using credit so that it can make money for you. Okay, so I'm going to share one example with you because I think then you might understand it a little bit better. Um, if you've heard it before, I'm sorry, but just bear with me. The example I want to give you is of my stepfather. So he's 88 years old now, okay, and he was forced to retire at 65, which is probably going to be happening to most of us. He worked his whole life, and he dutifully paid and contributed to his retirement annuity. At the age of 88, his retirement annuity is paying him 2,000 rand a month, and he cannot survive. His kids have to take care of him. I looked into his story a little bit, and 60 years ago, he bought a house in Paul. And I want to tell you a story about leverage and that house. So if we can show the, that, <laughs> that's a pay slip from December 1972. Okay, so he's, his gross monthly income before tax was 360 rand. His net monthly income was 320 rand. Lots of money. <laughs> okay, so the, the date on the pay slip is 1972, which tells me he's been living in this house for probably 11 or close to 12 years, all right? The last line above the, uh, below his net monthly income, I don't know if you can see it, but it says mortgage, 72 rand a month. Okay, so his mortgage in today's terms, if you want to make a home loan, you'll get a bond. That's the mortgage. So he bought a house, and it was costing him 72 rand a month, since 1960. I worked out that the house probably cost him between 60 and 70,000 rand, depending on what the interest rates were in those days, 1960. So I looked at the story and I thought, but it's actually quite sad. And I, I, I did a bit of digging. I said, what happened to the house? He said, no, he sold the house because he got offered a job in Cape Town. Um, and he wanted to sell the house because he'd been raised that debt is dangerous, okay? And you mustn't make debt unnecessarily. So he sold the house so that he could use the profit that he'd made on the sale as a down payment for the next house so that he would not be paying so much debt. He was scared of the debt. The thoughts that were going through his head were probably along these lines. What if this new company I'm going to work for collapses? I can't take too much risk with debt. What if I don't get promoted? What happens if I don't get an increase? And again, I say, remember the first principle. If you understand that God is your provider and he's a God of progress and development and growth. You can never have a mindset of saying, well, I'm going to go backwards in life. I'm only going to go forward. 
So here's the thing that went missing for him and where he didn't understand the principle of leverage. And I hope I can make it clear to you um, because it's very powerful. He only had eight years left to pay that house off. His fear of creating a big amount of debt buying a new house forced him to sell the house. If he had have chosen to put a tenant in the house, the rental income would have easily covered his bond repayment of 72 rand a month. Easily. He then could have used the house as leverage. He could have gone to the bank and said, I already own a house, okay, and I have a contract showing you that I can pay. I want to use what money is in that house as an asset to buy a new house. And I want to finance that from scratch. That's leverage. So he uses more credit, but his money is working for him. The story ends like this. If you understand the principle, he's 88, earning 2,000 rand a month from his pension fund. And I'm not knocking pension funds. Don't misunderstand me. This house today still stands. It's worth three and a half million rand. And the rental income that he could be getting from that house today is 25,000 rand a month. And yeah, he can't survive. Because he's getting a, a pension of 2,000 rand a month. It's a powerful thing. To make it more powerful is if he still owned that first house. When he passes on, that house would probably pay for his great-grandchildren to go to university one day. It's a gift that keeps giving. He should have used leverage. And I think that too many people don't understand the power of leverage to create wealth. So, in closing on wealth, those are the four principles that I believe are most important. God is my provider. I need to take control of my finances through a budget. I need to understand... What was the third one? <laughs> I need to understand the power of leverage. I know I've missed one. Uh, compound interest. I need to understand compound interest. Thank you so much. So here's the thing. I understand that leverage is a risk, but if we have a mindset of growth, progress, and development, like God does, and we made in his nature, and we use the money to make money by working hard, we actually can limit the risk that we're taking. It's very limited. And sometimes I've actually wondered, when I, when I talk to people about finances, do you really want to be wealthy? If I had to ask the, this group here, do you want to be wealthy? I'm sure 90% of you are going to say, yeah. I've got two questions for you. Because I don't believe you. If you want to be wealthy, you would have defined it. You would have said, I want to be wealthy. That's what it looks like. And if you haven't defined it, there will never be a strategy in place to achieve it, which means it's probably not going to happen unless you're putting your faith in a lotto ticket. 
And the second reason I think people don't really know that they want to be wealthy is because they choose not to educate themselves on the subject. I can't understand it. There are so many good books around. So many books that can teach you so much. And if you really want to be wealthy, we'll start reading up and studying the subject. And you'll be amazed at how much you can learn. So I'm sorry if you came here hoping that you were going to get told what shares to buy or what stocks to pick. <laughs> Ain't going to happen. But here's the thing. I want to just spend the last few minutes talking about the purpose of wealth. Because I believe that God has given us all the ability to create wealth. He said so. He says so in Deuteronomy 8, verse 17 to 18. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to create wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers, as it is today. Okay, so... I read that and I think, well, I can and should create wealth. You should get the same understanding if you read it. God says he has given it to you in a covenant, but he also gives it with a warning. And he says, don't forget about him, because it's because of him that you can do it. I'm going to read a, a scripture from the New Testament. Sounds very similar. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10 to 13. And it says, For God is the one who provides the seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources. Very similar. But then listen to what he says. It's a change. And then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. You will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when you take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. Two good things will result from this ministry, your ministry. Your ministry of giving. The needs of believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. So, you don't have to be a missionary or a pastor to be in ministry. Where you are, you need to use that position that you have, whether you are a professional, an accountant, uh, a doctor, whether you are someone who's working as a, a carpenter or a builder, it doesn't matter. Wherever you are, you need to be producing wealth. Okay, in order for you to be generous so that God can be given glory. Not you, He can be given glory. I want to just tell you one story very quickly about a guy called Francois van Niekerk. Now, Francois van Niekerk, I don't know if you know him, I've read his book, very, very good book. Very shortly, his story, he, he's a, he has quite a big business. And there comes a day where he realizes, look here, I'm going to lose the business and I'm going to be bankrupt today. 
And out of desperation, he says um, he wasn't even a, a follower of God, but out of desperation, he fell to his knees and said, God, if you can save me, I'll give 30% of whatever I make to your kingdom going forward. A miracle happens. His business gets saved that day. That day, his business is, is rescued. He gets a contract and goes on to become a multi-multi-millionaire. Developing properties, I mean, just massive. And he doesn't forget his promise to God of 30%. In fact, he doesn't keep it either. Because he finds himself making so much money that he decides to give 70% because it's too much for him. And he sows that money into ministries that build kingdom around the world and into different countries. Do you see why God wants to make you, make, I'm not saying he wants to make you wealthy. He's given you the ability to create wealth. It's up to you. You must create wealth, but here's what you should do with it. His story is a very powerful story. Let's move to 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 to 19. Teach or command those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who gives all we need. Command them to use their money to do good by doing good works and being generous to those in need and so on. So our wealth must enable us to provide for our families. I agree. We need to provide for our families. I even agree if you say, hey, well, you know what? I'm saying just what is it? What is, when is enough enough? When is enough enough? And put a boundary there and say, okay, well, you know what? That's what I need to provide for my family and to leave an inheritance and to do all the things I need to do, educate my children, all of that stuff. And say, that's what I need. And then trust God for an abundance. And learn from Francois. Say, hey, once I've got what I need, the rest goes to build the kingdom. It's not mine. It's what he gave to me. He's my provider. Here's the thing. All of you, I hope, would have some sort of investment. And if you're like me, at the end of the month, you get the statement. And you look at the statement, and it's like, oh, I, wonder, I wonder, has my money grown this month? Or have I done well? And then God challenged me and said, Walter, I think it's time that we talk about your statement in heaven. What are you investing on this side? You know, you're not going to be that excited to get that statement. And I want to challenge all of us because one day we're going to stand before the Lord and he's going to say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. You took what I gave you and you invested it into my kingdom. If that's what he's going to say to you, there'll be great delight. If it's not, I'll leave you to think about that for a second. You see, his kingdom is here on earth now, today. And he instructed you and I to grow it. 
That's why he gives us the ability to create wealth. It's for his kingdom. If we all did so by using our wealth, his kingdom on earth would reflect our obedience because of generous giving. And the world would look very different to what it looks now. It would look different. It's more than tithing. I'm sorry about this, but tithing is not enough. <laughs> okay? If you're going to create wealth, it's more than tithing. John Wesley said, look, make as much as you can, save as much as you can, give as much as you can. And I think he understood the principle here and saying, hey, man, if God has given me this ability to create wealth, I'm going to make as much as I can, but I'm going to give as much as I can so that the world around me can look different. It can reflect my king. If an alien was to arrive here in George, okay? Or maybe not George. Let's say anywhere else in South Africa. And someone said to him, welcome. You've arrived in the kingdom of God on earth. The alien is going to surely be thinking to himself when he looks around at the way people are living. And he's going to think, really? What kind of king is this? Doesn't look like he's a good king. It doesn't look right. And here's the thing. God entrusted us to build his kingdom. And what the alien sees is a reflection of our work of building the kingdom. And because of what he sees, he thinks, wow, well, maybe it's the king. But the problem is it's not the king. It's us. It's our responsibility. The church is, it's not the government's responsibility. The word never says that. It's the church's responsibility. Matthew 6, verse 19, says, Don't store up treasures on earth. Store up riches in heaven. How do you do that? By building his kingdom here on earth today. Your wealth that you're going to create or that you have created, well, I'm sorry to say, it's not yours. It's not for your goodness. It's for him so that his name can be glorified and his kingdom can be built. Many Christians have told me that they will be prepared to die for Jesus if they have to. And I'm sure many of you, if I asked you, would say, hey, are you going to deny Jesus or are you going to take the shot? And I'm sure you're going to say, I'll, I'll take the shot. Because all of us who profess to be Christians will be willing to die for Jesus. But my question to you today is, are you willing to live for him? Are you willing to, to do your work, to create wealth, to build his kingdom? Because surely that's more important. 
And he's given us everything we need to do it. Matthew 6 verse 33. Seek God's kingdom above all else. Above all else. Okay? If you're a doctor, if you're a builder, if you're a fireman, whatever, seek God's kingdom above all else and all of these things will be given to you. Seek first his kingdom. If we can just go to those three scriptures and here's what I want to just challenge you with. Practically speaking, you know, I, I believe that God has given every single person the ability to create wealth. I believe that his word is telling us that the purpose is not for our glory but for his. So what did that mean? What does it mean practically? For Ina. She started, her heart was broken for poor people. So she started a ministry for poor people. Maybe that's not you, but the word's full of things that we can do with our wealth. Just pick one, anything. I mean, yes, just three. The, the word is full of these. Isaiah 1 verse 17, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widows. Isaiah 61, I have anointed you to bring good news to the poor. James 1 verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You know, what is it that God is showing you that doesn't look right in this picture? In our communities, what is it? We can't go through life comfortably numb about what's going on around us and say, it's okay, well, I'm good, I'm saved. It's not enough. It's not good enough. Uh, we need to be successful, but I think it's even greater to be significant. Make it count. If we were to work hard and create wealth and realize that it's not ours, but it's his, our city and our country would look different. And our Father in heaven would be glorified. Luke, you want to come up? We're done. So I just want to close with this. I want to remind you what God said in the beginning. God said, prosper. He, he spoke the blessing over you when he made us. He said, prosper, reproduce, fill the earth, take control. Take control. Have you taken control? Are you prospering? Are you doing the things that he's entrusted us to do? But then Jesus came and he said, Establish my kingdom. And that's the reason I believe that God has given all of us the ability to create wealth. Because to establish his kingdom, 
is going to take resources. Believe me. It's going to take time. It's going to take effort. And yes, it's going to take money. So I want to close and just pray for us as a congregation of Shofar George. Um, just pray with me, please. Dear Lord, thank you for your word that teaches us, that challenges us, Lord. Thank you that your word says that you have given us the ability to create wealth. Thank you that you, when you made us, you blessed us and said prosper, take control. And I pray, Lord, that that blessing would be received today in this congregation. I pray that people would learn to prosper. I pray that people would learn to work and that the fruit of their work would lead to financial wealth. But above all, Lord, I pray that you would help them to realize, help us, help me to realize that it's not mine. You gave it to me for your purpose and for your glory. I pray that you would stir the hearts of people to see the things that are not right and to put a plan in place to address it. I ask this in Jesus' name.